This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by CBT Nuggets and Lamigo. On this episode, I chat with Madi Azaboon about differing serverless perspectives between cloud providers. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 103. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm joined by Madi Azaboon. Hey, Madi, thanks for joining me. Hi. Thanks for having me. So you are a senior manager for cloud pre-sales um, in the Nordic region for Cognizant. So I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and what it is that you do at uh, Cognizant. Yeah, just a little bit of background. I started as a full-stack developer. Then I joined Accenture as a serverless specialist. And over there, I started to play with AWS Lambda specifically start to write, do some geeky stuff, writing blog posts and speaking conferences and so. Uh, then uh, I was developing several solutions for multiple corporations in Finland. Then I joined another consultancy company, Efficode, which are known for DevOps. It's very good. They are known, they have a good reputation for that in Nordic region. I was as a practice lead, AWS practice lead, uh, driving their business. Then I joined my current company, Cognizant, and here I do I work as a, uh, in a at a pre-sales capacity. I don't I'm not hands-on anymore, but uh, basically I do whatever is needed to make our customers happy and make them to go to the cloud. So that means high-level solutioning and talking with the customer. And as a senior architect, I comment about stuff. I make diagrams and I translate <laughs> business and technical stuff, requirements, basically as an interface between the delivery and the customers. And yeah, that's all. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, so you mentioned uh, some of the blog posts that you uh, that you were writing, um, and some of it was a little bit uh, a little while ago. Um, so, and, and it's actually, I think there's some interesting perspective there. So, I want to get into that uh, in a little while. Okay. But um, I want to start by this idea uh, of, or this pl- uh, post that you wrote um, about sort of you know what you need to know about. Um, you know, uh, Azure functions versus AWS Lambda uh, and vice versa. And it was sort of this lead into, you know, this concept of, of multi-cloud and not, not cloud agnostic, like being able to run the same workloads, but being able to understand, um, you know, being able to understand the differences or maybe some of the nuances in uh, Azure versus AWS. And of course, that could extend to GCP and IBM Cloud and some of these other things. Um, but I'm curious why understanding different serverless services or just different cloud services across clouds in this multi-cloud sort of world we're living in now. Um, like, why is that so important? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, I would like to clarify that whatever I'm telling this podcast is just my personal opinion and doesn't reflect my employer. This is just to save <laughs> myself. Absolutely. From, yeah. It's like the standard Twitter uh, handle. Views, yeah. are, views are my own, right? Yeah. I didn't want to answer to my boss after this podcast. <laughs> Answering to your question, uh, the thing is that cloud, multi-cloud is inevitable. And even AWS, which was in the best practices, I remember like a few years ago, they were saying that, no, try to avoid that. They started to even admitting through their offerings that, yeah, they are trying to embrace in the multi-cloud. 
with their mm-hmm. uh, Kubernetes offerings. And the thing is that, well, whether AWS fans like it or not, Azure is gaining a lot of market share. And uh, it depends on the country. For example, in Finland, at least AWS is really popular. But now I'm dealing, for example, in other countries like Norway or UK, Azure is very popular. So if, uh, I mean, yeah, you can just exclude yourself uh, to, to be work only with one cloud. But in my opinion, you are missing a lot of opportunities both to learn and just uh, as a company to embrace the capacities because whether, well, Azure provides some stuff which are better than AWS. I mean, I hear mm-hmm. from a corporation that uh, they really like AI capabilities of Azure much better than AWS and they do a lot of analytics. So it's inevitable whether many people like to admit it or not. Right. Right. But so even the fact that it's um, inevitable, right? And we, we talk about, um, uh, you know, multi-cloud is one of those terms. Uh, I just talked to Rob Sutter about multi-cloud a couple episodes ago, and it was, um, you know, it, it's so expansive. I mean, it's everything from, you know, SaaS providers to obviously the public cloud providers to, um, you know, maybe even on-prem cloud. I know that sounds kind of weird, but like a you know, hybrid cloud and things like that. Um, so the the problem is is that there are a lot of providers, there are a lot a lot of SaaS products, things like that. And so, I, I mean, are you advocating that people try to become experts in multiple clouds, or or how do you sort of uh, what level of knowledge do you think you need to have in order to work across multiple clouds? I haven't met a single person who can claim to be expert in more than one cloud provider, mm. and I have talked with many experts because I have been running serverless uh, Finland and so I have met, talked with many experts. None of them dare to claim that they knew it. I mean, even keeping up with one single cloud provider is a lot of work. And right. I don't consider myself expert in any of them either because I have not hands-on anymore. The thing is that, uh, no, uh, you don't have to be experts to work with different stuff. Of course, um, at some level, you need some... Uh, for example, you might need an Azure expert to work with Azure, AWS ex- expert to work like that, to work with AWS. But in my opinion, if you really want to be, keep up with the technology and so, you need to be good in one provider, really good mm-hmm. in that. And then know the fundamentals of the cloud, uh, the best practices, which are, I would say, yeah, it, it's uh, irrespective of the, which cloud provider you're, you're using that. And be willing to learn. For example, it happened to me at that time. Um, when uh, I mean, when I wrote that blog post, I was only working with AWS. Then they said mm-hmm. me that, okay, we have this project on Azure, go for it. And I never touched Azure before. It yeah. was a lot of pain, but I learned a lot. So, I mean, as I said, the fundamentals are same. And no, be expert in one and be willing to learn. In my opinion, right. that should be good enough. Right. And, and I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, I think that's good advice to sort of, you know, be well-rounded. I mean, that's always a good, uh, good advice, I think, for a technologist. Um, going, uh, going a mile wide, uh, is it a mile wide, an inch deep, um, is usually good enough. But like you said, being able to be an expert in a specific uh, field or a specific technology or something like that um, can really help. So, um, so you think that's certainly a good career choice, right, to, to sort of, you know, start to broad, broaden your, your perspective a little bit. Definitely. Actually, I was one of those AWS fans that really was following this, this, this hero, serverless heroes and so on, basically was parroting whatever AWS was telling. And I was saying that I just want to come to work with AWS. 
Mm-hmm. And actually, it was uh, it happened to be like that. But when I joined my current company, my manager said that most of the opportunities that you are dealing with, I mean, in my department, so it's mostly Azure. So basically, they said that it is as it is <laughs> and cope with it. And uh, and I'm very happy actually. When I, for example, see well, I, I'm sure that anyone who is in the cloud get many job offers from recruiters. I'm I was thinking about it at some point when I was AWS guy. At least in my experience, half of those job ads were irrelevant, and mm-hmm. uh, right, right. depending on the country. For example, in Finland, if your Azure uh, AWS is very popular, at least, and if you're Azure expert, you're gonna miss a lot of opportunities. But at least in my experience, if you said that you are good with that, you have worked with the other one, you know something, a lot of career opportunities opens up. This is my observation. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think actually you made a really good point. Um, and I certainly, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, like the AWS heroes and so forth, I'm an AWS serverless hero um, mm-hmm. and we get inside information, but we do, we spend a lot of time thinking about things the AWS way. And AWS is very good at what they're doing with serverless and they have, um, you know, an interesting perspective in terms of what they believe serverless is supposed to be and what that roadmap looks like. Um, But even, you know, just hosting this show and talking to so many different people in different clouds and different ways that they do it, getting that different perspective of how other people or other clouds think about serverless and how they are building it out. I think that's, uh, that's actually really good context to have. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I was, uh, you, you were one of my heroes also and was following you. Uh, but I should say that it had its own advantages. And the disadvantage was that I was in a kind of AWS bubble. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I started to see that, okay, when AWS uh, itself opens up having this multi-cloud offering and some serverless heroes start to write about that, I was like, okay. That's time for opening up the thing. But uh, I mean, by that time, actually, I was already started to use Azure. So again, I mean, I would say that what you have been doing, actually, heroes are doing a great job, really doing a great job. Absolutely, and, I totally uh, agree. Azure also have similar, if I remember correctly, they call it MVP, something like mm-hmm. that. Microsoft so MVPs, yep. The thing is that, uh, at least based on my observation, they have more or less same level of dynamics or uh, narrative between themselves, you know? They also consider Azure World and AWS World and so. But uh, I was lucky, uh, maybe by the choice and so, that somehow I had to join or use or attach to the both communities. So, yeah, it right. has been a very valuable experience. Yeah, yeah. And and so so you went through that process. You you were sort of an AWS convert, uh, or I guess a, a, an Azure convert from AWS, um, and, and, and you stayed connected. But I know that idea of, of sort of transferring your skills and transferring the concepts. And uh, you mentioned sort of the, you know, the pillars are the same um, as they are in AWS. And, and, you know, so you sort of have some of the general, the general concepts. But um, as someone who went through that, what were what were the challenges like what were some of the i guess you know challenges and, and the barriers that you sort of faced um going from aws and that way of thinking into the microsoft world that's a very good question the thing is that uh, in the department at, at that time i was working at accenture and actually we were whole, all of us were big aws fans because at least uh, the accenture owned avana there so azure guys very separate we were mm-hmm. uh, in a azure aws bubble and yeah, I mean, I'm sure that definitely AWS is much more mature in many aspects than Azure. No doubt. At least it was like that. And I'm sure it's still like that. The gap 
has been narrower, but it still might be the case. And I remember at that time, many of my colleagues were really bashing down Azure, really bashing down. And they were right. I mean, some of their services were really immature. So, mm-hmm. but then again, I had the chance to, um, uh, actually it wasn't by choice, but they said to me that, okay, this is an Azure project. Basically, it was a, uh, a team, I would say quite junior, developed something on Azure. Uh, something that you never probably want to hear. Uh, they develop everything in browser. Uh, mm-hmm. Infrastructure is a code, nothing at all. And mm-hmm. they were juniors, so they made quite many mistakes also. But they just made the app up and running. It didn't matter how or what. It was just running. And that, that's all. So they told me that, okay, we need some little improvement. You know this word, little improvement. <laughs> and that little improvement basically forced me to reverse engineer whatever they have done. And that required me to upgrade the whole application because, they, as I said, there was no infrastructure as a code. If right. I want to use it, I had to use, uh, if I wanted to do local development, I had to use Windows. I had only Mac, so I had to change the complete platform. It was a very tedious uh, process by itself. On top of that, I had to start to see how Azure functions work. And that was another pain for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is that I had AWS mindset, and I was thinking that, okay, AWS is the best. They came up first with the cloud and Lambda, so Azure should be something like that. And mm-hmm. I, as I elaborated in the blog post, no, actually they are different. And there are some small catches that, or gotchas, basically, uh, nuances, yeah. that that makes some even days to find it out, but you need to find it out, otherwise your app doesn't work. And after a while, when I reflected the things, I realized that, okay, of course, I was angry and pissed. Uh, <laughs> and I was really bashing down Azure. It was part of the dynamics over there. But after a while, when I reflected to my whole process, and actually I wrote in the blog post, I realized that part of the blame was on me because I was expecting Azure to work in an AWS way. No, right. that's not how it works. I mean, uh, when you look at, for example, authentication or the mindset, uh, it's different. But, uh, and that requires a learning curve. I mean, you need to find out Stack Overflow and actually the Azure community is really supportive. I really like it. They have their own community, which is really supportive. So the pain basically was that, uh, yeah, I had to find out how things work in Azure and it was different. But now, now that I'm working basically pre-sales uh, in both of the cloud, I can say that, again, fundamentals are same. And this right. AWS well, architecture framework, there are five pillars. You can see that Azure has copied from AWS. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. And uh, even they haven't changed the name. The naming is similar. And you can find <laughs> that AWS, it's just a bad copy, at least like a few months ago that I had to implement for that. But at the end, uh, I mean, Azure is catching up fast. It's, I mean, right. it's undeniable. And fundamentals are more the same. I mean, if you want to make your app, for example, you want to innovate, you should have shorter time there, time to market. Basically, you need to use infrastructure as a code. If you want to make your app really highly available, you need to follow best practices, do maybe SRE. As, as a high level, it's the same. But when it comes mm-hmm. to detail level, it can be very different. Even the documentation yeah. was really confusing. And it wasn't just me telling that. 
I now, the, uh, out of curiosity, was the was the documentation for AWS more confusing, or was hmm. the documentation a, for this um, is a million uh, dollar Azure question. more confusing? This is a million dollar question. Actually, I thought that maybe it's me. So I found the Azure doc very confusing, but I thought it's me. So hmm. I asked nine, I think nine of my friends who are AWS experts, that what's your opinion? Have you worked with Azure? Do you find uh, documentation good about? All of them, I think all of them said that it's confusing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, then, then it's confusing. Then I talked with few Azure experts who they have, they breathe in Azure. They are Windows right. guys, they have, and mm-hmm. they never touch AWS. And they said that, no, documentation is good. Everything is fine. <laughs> and actually, if I remember correctly, one of them said that, no, actually, I found AWS documentation confusing. It mm. seems like two different words, you know. Right, I find them. I find them both confusing, um, actually. So maybe now it has um, changed. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, um, so, so that's interesting. I mean, I think the documentation is a is a good. Um, uh, yeah, well, first of all, having good documentation is is important, and I think they both have good documentation. Um, but I do think it's organized differently, right? Yes. And again, it, it's organized more towards I think maybe that different mindset. But um, let's just talk a little bit about the maturity. Uh, of of those because um, to be fair to Azure, I mean Azure or Azure Functions, it has come a very very long way. I remember it way back in 2018, uh, way back. I mean, it seems like a long time ago at this point. Um, uh, seeing very early demos of durable functions, and I remember thinking like, oh, that's just that's just a mess. Like that is not the way that you want to do that. Now, you know, fast forward three years, um, durable functions are pretty cool. Uh, and they do a lot of really interesting things. Um, you know, so, uh, it does take time to catch up. So I certainly, I, I would, I would think your criticism of Azure, uh, of Azure functions back then, um, in terms of what it is now, there's probably a huge, there's a huge gap there. Yeah, and I'm sure that most of the criticism, the detailed one that I mentioned, the blog post, I'm sure that many of them have either been fully addressed or they have right. been improved a lot. So that's why right. I don't want to focus that much on details, and I would focus more on the high-level thing. But, right. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I just want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, CBT Nuggets. If you're an IT professional or a developer like me, you know how important it is to constantly be learning new skills to keep up with the latest trends. Sometimes a blog post or a YouTube tutorial can get you started. But if I really want to upskill, nothing compares to professional training from experts you can trust. With CBT Nuggets, I have access to more than 400 courses and 4,000 hours of professional training. And with a 100% in-house training team, they add 40 hours of new training every week. Their courses feature topics ranging from building serverless apps with Lambda and DynamoDB to certification-focused training for AWS, Microsoft, Linux, and more. CBT Nuggets also offers virtual labs so that you can practice your new skills as you're learning them. They also have accountability coaching, which lets you talk to a real person to create a custom learning plan to set goals and keep you accountable. Whether you're a developer looking to sharpen your skills or a team looking to level up together, you can try CBT Nuggets for free for seven days thanks to their free trial offer. Just visit cbtnuggets.com serverless and sign up to get started. So speaking of the high-level things, so let's go there for a second. So you mentioned like the well-architected framework, sort of this idea of uh, there being something very, very similar, maybe even a 
carbon copy in um, in Microsoft. But what about you know getting down? You said that your individual skills are kind of when you get into the weeds there. Um, that that is certainly different. So I mean, for the most part, though, event driven, right? Um, you know, stateless compute, things like that. Do those skills um, do those skills transfer over? Yeah, they do. It's just a matter of implementation. For example, uh, I can tell you, uh, yes, those those ones. Well, um, there is some caveat. For example, okay. I remember in Azure community, uh, I was at that time. This probably has been changed, but I think it shows some kind of mindset. I was struggling to find out the observability tools of uh, Azure. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's, it was called Application Insight, one of the tools. Mm -hmm. And like that, yeah. uh, they had some event-driven insight, something like that, which was, they call it near real-time. And uh, I, I remember that uh, basically when I want to get the logs from the functions, it took three minutes to come up, three mm. minutes. And at the same time, CloudWatch, for example, it was coming in 20 seconds, something like that, 10, 20 seconds. And I mentioned it in their, their community. If I remember correctly, it was a notable dude, one of either one of the product team or he was very, it was a notable dude. And he said that three minutes in his uh, time is, in my opinion, is near real time. He said that. <laughs> and I was, I, I remember we made a lot of joke out of that sentence with my colleagues <laughs> I about that. Probably, right. um, but that shows some kind of mindset. I mean, three minutes, I don't think it's near real time. I'm sure most probably this time has been reduced, but I just want to tell you the mindset about that. But yeah, yeah. event driven, event, stateless stuff, they are transferable. But when it comes to implementation, is different. For example, as I mentioned that blog post, there was some stuff uh, that you can do easily authentication with some setting some environmental variables in, as, in AWS. But mm -hmm. that same thing in Azure is, if I remember correctly, is done through something like service principles. It's different. So if you yeah. try to play with environmental variables, you, you try and say, no, it doesn't work that way. It gets to yeah. very detailed stuff that gets different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I'm curious here um, about like other sort of interconnectivity of 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 what. You would connect. So, like, I'm thinking of, um, uh, and I now I'm trying to remember what they're called bindings or triggers and bindings in uh, Azure Functions as opposed to events um, or I, what are they, event sources, I think we call them in, in, the, in the Lambda world. So, would you look at um, would you look at the way that you connect to other services? Um, like, is that another thing that is, is similar between the two? Okay, I should say that I don't remember that much of these details anymore, but. Uh... As far as I remember, again, the high level were more or less same. Okay, they call it triggers, uh, but uh, I don't remember now what does it ever slam the call it, but it was more or less I, I same. I can't even remember what it's called. Yeah, right. it was event, more or less event same. Event sources or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And they had something like uh, boss, events boss, uh, in order to have a centralized event driven thing. It's same, I would say. Again, yeah. when it comes to poor person who has to implement it, if he hasn't yeah. done it before. But the person who is doing the high-level architecture and so, I, I can easily see that. I mean, I don't see that much difference. But I know that if yeah. someone has to implement it and hasn't done it before, he will go through the most pain because he has yeah. to find these small configuration things that, unfortunately, you need to make them. Otherwise, it doesn't work out. But right. high-level, it's same. It's yeah. events yeah. and... I, I... Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the nuances are always those tough things. So, so thinking of the overall uh, mindset here and sort of maybe the approach to serverless. Um, so I know you went from AWS to Azure, but I'm curious, do you think it would be easier to go from Azure to AWS or easier to go from AWS to Azure? Well, I came from this part of the river to the other one, so I can just speculate about the other part. But I would say it's more or less same because, again, when I talk with few Azure people who really have been breathing always in Azure and never touch, I mean, or barely touch AWS, I felt that they are feeling same thing about AWS. So in my, I would say it's more or less same. They need to go through yeah. the same pain. They will find AWS and stuff very confusing, especially that they will not have that great community support of AWS. So they need to either stack overflow things or have yeah. enterprise support of AWS. I would say right. it's more or less same for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting too, just um, that it is different enough that there is pain there, right? Like, I mean, mm. it would be nice if there was some standards. And I know there's like the, um, you know, the opening, uh, the uh, the cloud, uh, uh, the cloud computing foundation is like open events and some oh. of those things, whatever. Not yeah. that that's all, not that that's all working out for, I, I think Kubernetes and Knative and those, and, and, and some of those teams are implementing it or those projects, but I'm not sure uh, the same thing is falling to AWS. But um, anyways, go ahead. Do you have any Actually, thoughts on that? Actually, that Cloud Foundation, I was working in Efficode, and they are really working with that stuff. They are so good in Kubernetes. I mm. find that also in other words, completely. Yeah. This Cloud Foundation stuff. I never had to implement any of that for any of our customers in any of the companies that I work, that they work yeah. AWS or Azure, you know? Yeah, some of them, they use a Kubernetes as well, but that... Uh, CNCF, whatever was it? Yeah, CNCF. Yeah, yeah I found it. That's a, that's a different word for me, also. I should say. Sometimes, out of curiosity, <laughs> I played with it, but I never, nobody ever asked me that we want to use that. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um. All right. So we talked a lot about. We've been talking about. Um. You know, the difficulties of switching between different cloud providers, but also the value of knowing those different cloud providers. Um. And more so, so that you can build serverless applications. So let's talk about serverless. In general, um, I know you're a little bit outside of the, you know, you're not you're not in the developer role anymore. But um, this actually could be really interesting to get your perspective on the sort of the management approach to this and how other companies are thinking about the value of serverless uh, at a management level as opposed to, you know, sort of, or, or I guess even as a sort of a planning level. So let me ask you this question then: um, Are you seeing? you know, companies uh, looking at serverless and adopting serverless and that serverless mindset. Um, and then maybe a, a follow-up question would be, if they're not, why do you think they should be embracing serverless? Okay, firstly, I answered the second part. Uh, basically, uh, the thing is that nowadays, uh, world is fast changing. Many companies, uh, most many corporations basically, uh, are benefiting from their existing market share or regulators uh, or the monopoly that they have. For now, it works. And if they don't want to change, basically, if they have the mindset that things are working, why, what's the point for change? Most probably within a decade or so, they are going to die. Their business is going to die. So they are, because uh, the world is fast changing and they need to have, they need to adapt to the market. Mm hmm so either they need to go through the pain and disrupt themselves. Disruption always brings pain. You cannot disrupt yourself and 
claim that everything went smooth, smoothly. Either they need to disrupt themselves, go through the pain, and so become really agile in order to mm -hmm. understand the customer feedback and deliver the value to the customer, what really the customer wants. They can either have this pace or they can ignore it and say that, okay, things are working. We are making money through a monopoly, regulatory, existing market or whatever. And then their business is going to go away. It's two choice. That's all. So, if, if, <laughs> yeah, painful <laughs> process to become more right. competitive and be head of customers or assume that everything is okay. And then, and then at that time, that's going to be very late. Right. Did, so did so it, let, yeah. let, let me go back to that first question then. So is that what you're seeing? So are you seeing people not doing that? Okay. Uh, the thing is that what I'm telling you is going to be a bit biased because I'm working a cloud team and whatever right. project that they are going to bring to me, of course, they are the departments and the companies that they are interested in the cloud. So my mind is a bit biased. But uh, what I'm seeing is that uh, it varies a lot. And I mostly focus on corporations because, yeah, of course, for startups, it's much easier to go for that. Right. At least in Finland, uh, my observation was that there are two ways. Either they are very, uh, it depends on the executive leadership. For example, a major bank uh, in Finland, they said that we want to go to the cloud and to the uh, agile. We want to be for that. And once one of these big ones goes through that, there is going to be a domino effect and others do. But there are some other ones that no, it's cloud. Who is going to take care of the data? We are not going to do that. And they don't touch it. Mm -hmm. There are some other companies and the departments, I would say there are departments who are interested in trying things out. So they are, and then they have to fight internally with the con most conservative department and so. So there are, I'm sure that there are three levels of that. But mostly mm -hmm. I work with the ones who are inclined to reducing the cloud. Right, right. And so, so then the ones that are starting to dabble... Uh, in the cloud. Is that something where you see, I mean, clearly there's lift and shift, right? Which I think we probably all understand at this point is not the best implementation or the best use of the cloud, right? Um, that uh, it's better to maybe use more native cloud services or cloud native services, I guess, um, to do that. So in terms of, of people just, you know, sort of rehosting or maybe replatforming, are, are you seeing this sort of re-architecture uh, or I guess this refactoring um, or, are, or is that something where companies are staying away from that? First of all, uh, I respectfully maybe have to disagree with you. Uh, okay. that actually, I think uh, rehosting is actually a good approach. And that's what even AWS promotes uh, for conservative companies who mm -hmm. want to start working with the cloud and they want to get the fastest result in the shortest period of time with the least amount of pain. It's better to do migration through the easiest one, which is lift and shift. Easiest, everything is relatively. Right. And then have a data-driven approach to see what really needs to be improved and then refactor or re-architect or re-platform based on data. So in AWS terms, I'm sure you need better, I mean, have an evolutionary architecture right. in a data-driven approach. So lift and shift, I don't consider bad at all. Actually, I consider a very good cornerstone, stepstone at the beginning, for, for the beginning. Mm. Interesting, uh, okay. Yeah, that was, uh, what was the other question? No, I was just going to say, I, I, so you're, you've got, oh, okay, you've sorry, got companies sorry, uh, yeah, that are sorry, lift and shift and then moving. Yeah, 
actually, uh, sorry to interrupt you, actually, I'm a bit careful about using the word cloud native. I remember in a com uh, previous company that I was working, we had some philosophical fight about that. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that then everyone was dissatisfied. And I, ha I had to have an authoritarian approach that this is the definition of cloud native. I'm sure many of them hated me after that. But the <laughs> word cloud native, I really struggle to find a consensus of what does it mean. And if you spend some time, you realize that you will find a variety of definitions of that. Mm. So I'm picking for the word cloud native. I'm very, uh, I, there is a lot of fight can happen. What is exactly cloud native? Some consider Kubernetes cloud native. Some consider using AWS cloud, I mean, or mm. Azure cloud native. And yeah. so this is a picky, this is a very controversial term. I would say. Well, yeah. so let me interrupt you for a second. So when I think of cloud native, what I'm thinking of are are, are services and um, and and uh, components that are built specifically to run in the cloud. Things like your API gateway at AWS or Azure Functions or things that are like very much so built to run in a cloud environment where they do things. They, they, you know, it's that it's that serverless aspect. I, I think of it more serverlessly. I mean, I know uh, you know containers and so forth fit in there as well. Um, but that's how I think of cloud native. I think of cloud native as going beyond just your traditional VM um, and running everything on the VM and moving to the higher level services that are more managed for you. May I challenge you? Absolutely. So you just said that basically things that use cloud and like API gateway and so you. you, mm -hmm. you and now I should ask more philosophical question. What is cloud? Right. Well, that's another good question. Right. <laughs> okay. I can tell you, based on the several definitions that I read and I reflected on them, I have this definition of cloud native. Most probably, many people, I'm sure, will disagree. So that's fine because uh, it's, it's very controversial. In my opinion, cloud native is very simple. If your architecture if your application is architectured in a way that can leverage the advantages of the cloud environment, then it's cloud native. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if it's on Kubernetes, if it's on AWS, if it's on Azure or so. If it, if it can scale to zero and theoretically to infinity and mm -hmm. you pay for only for what you use, then it's cloud native. That's my definition of that. And I read so many definitions, so I came up with it. But feel free to disagree with that, because many people disagreed with me. I'm fine with that. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. We've talked a lot about observability on this podcast. And if you've listened to any of those episodes, then you know that it can be difficult to achieve serverless observability with traditional approaches. Though serverless comes with many opportunities and advantages, it also has some unique issues that some tools just aren't able to address, and those issues really need something meant for serverless environments. That's where Lumigo comes in. As a serverless-first monitoring platform, Lumigo lets developers quickly and easily find and fix errors and performance issues, while also giving you an end-to-end -end view of the entire transaction across services and functions. All of the debugging information you need is conveniently in one place, and you're able to set up alerts so that you know what's happened and how it might affect the user experience. Lumigo also knows how to play nice with your existing toolchain, enabling you to send alerts to email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Ops Genie, and more, and can also create tickets in Jira straight from the issues page. 
Thanks to their automatic distributed tracing, it only takes four clicks to set up Lumigo with no manual code changes necessary. Lumigo already has a free plan that lets you track up to 150,000 AWS Lambda invocations a month, but today they're offering Serverless Chats listeners a special promotion. Sign up for a free account at Lumigo.io and enter promo code CHATS500 and your free account limit will go up to half a million monthly invocations. That's Lumigo.io with promo code CHATS500 to try it out today. So let me ask you this, though, because I, I think that's interesting, um, you, the way you explain the strategy of lift and shift, um, of, of, of basically being able to say it's the probably the, the, the lowest risk way to take an application that's on-prem and move that into the cloud, um, and then to use data and so forth to kind of figure out um, you know, what, what parts of the application might we want to migrate to uh, maybe, again, I don't overload the term, but more cloud-native things. Um, uh, I think that's actually really interesting. I have found and I have seen uh, many companies that seem to do this where it's more that they, they move things, they just, re, you know, they just re-host without... Um, um, you know, without really thinking through what that strategy is going to be. Um, and then they basically just end up having their on-prem in the cloud um, and not benefiting from some of those managed services and some of the benefits of the cloud that you get, um, you know, that, that, uh, that they end up, they end up, they don't transfer onto them. That's, that's what I've seen. Well, you know it better than me. Your cloud environment is never perfect and it's always right. an ongoing operation. So, right. I mean, going to the cloud, again, if you put your on-prem uh, and put them to, the, I don't know, use EC2 or which VM on the AWS or Azure, that's a very good first step. But you right, need to be able true. to start leveraging that, at least get the data, which one is being used. And hopefully, hopefully, when you're going to the cloud, you have done some analysis and you have realized that some of the services even are not worth going to the cloud. Some of them need to retire. Some of them cannot be rehosted. They must be re-architectured mm. because they are so legacy for that. But mm. even, again, assuming that you have done your homework and you have done rehost, okay, you need to leverage that and go and see the analytics that AWS or Azure provides, how much uh, overuse or overutilized or underutilized are your CPUs and this kind of thing. And according to that, do right-sizing for that. That's, that right. that's a good step for that. Then yeah. if they want requires refactoring, try to, I don't know, refactoring and use more managed services for that. So again, rehosting is a good first step, but cloud is a long journey. I don't know who came up that cloud is cheap. I really don't know. <laughs> no. Right. No, I, I totally agree. Um, you are right about the first step. And I actually loved your point about um, which services might you be able to retire um, and not move at all. Because I think in, in a lot of these big companies, there are a lot of services that mm. uh, you probably don't need anymore or they're redundant or whatever, and, and you could get rid of those moving to cloud. So um, good point. All right. So I got a couple a couple more minutes and I, I want to go back to um, an article that you wrote. Now, this I think is like three years old. Um, and in terms of the reading the article now, it's not relevant because so many things have changed. But what's relevant is what has changed. Um, and this was an article that was about, you know, the worrying and promising signals um, from the serverless community. I think this was uh, an event you went to in Germany um, that did this. And 
you had a couple of different uh, points that you called out. Um, one of the points was um, that users have ignored security, and that was a worrying um, that was a worrying sign for you. Um, where do you think sort of cloud security, or more more specifically, serverless security, is now? Do you think people are still thinking about it front and center, or still have brought it front and center like it probably should be, or do you think it's still a worrying a worrying factor? Since uh, I have implemented uh, cloud solutions for, I'll say, most enterprises and few startups, uh, I haven't seen a single one of them using having a cloud security specialist. Mm. Most of the corporations, when they, at least in my experience, when they want to go to the cloud, they must address the security of it, and uh, typically uh, because of the customer requirements. So they bring a security guy who has worked with this, let's put in this way, old age security stuff, and he has mm-hmm. to comment on the cloud part. And it's funny that actually, sometimes I have to teach them basically. <laughs> <laughs> I remember right. we had a head of security for a customer. I really had to teach him, and actually I hacked the Lambda function in front of him, and I was like, wow, it is really like that. I had to yeah. teach him what are the attack vectors. And it was funny. He had to sign off my solution that is secure. Mm-hmm. But basically, I had to tell him what, a, what are the classes. They <laughs> right. address it from a traditional way. So yeah, they do some kind of uh, test, automated test, and this kind of thing, which is, yeah, definitely. But again, I'm not a security expert. But as far as I understand, again, they have some fundamentals, which are same. That's true. But when it comes to the cloud, especially serverless and functional service, you will see that there is a lot of more attack vectors. And unfortunately, these security experts, I haven't seen any of them who are who have any expertise in that. I yeah. learned about it because I was curious about it. And I started to work with um, basically professionals, some startups which provide professional security solution for serverless. So that's how yeah. I got it. But again, I had to go through the pain. It took a few months to read so many stuff. But I haven't seen any security specialists who have been working on our cloud projects who have done this. So I would say customers, they consider it, but no, there is still a lot Mm -hmm. more way to mature. They're not addressing it. Yeah, and it's funny because I remember like 2018, 2019, there were a couple of companies that were in the serverless security space and they were all acquired. Um, And so now they're part of larger platforms, which is great for them. Don't get me wrong. Um, All right. So then another another thing you said, um, and I think this is important because the the biggest complaint that I always hear about serverless um, is just the workflows are not easy. Um, And so you had mentioned that DevOps was finding its way um, and that that was sort of a promising signal. Um, You think that we've, I mean, we've got a lot of tools for serverless now. Um, you know, speaking of Azure, uh, the way to deploy an Azure function right through VS Code now with the plugins is really, really slick. Um, serverless Framework, SAM, CDK, all these other, you know, Terraform and so forth. I mean, have we gotten to um, uh, have we gotten to some stability around uh, uh, serverless and, and and sort of mixing in DevOps there? Uh, based on my experience. Uh... At least the one that I have worked with, I can see that yes, DevOps is now a part of solution that provide to the customer, and at, maybe it's biased because personally I went through the pain whenever I propose any solution for the customer. So that 
always use infrastructure as a code and always try to have a DevOps uh, centric viewpoint about your solution. So I try to push for that. And yes, I find customers receptive about that. It seems to me that now DevOps is not one of those buzzwords for cool kids who just want right. to do this stuff. Even the corporate right. guys are more receptive with that. Again, there is more way to really do the DevOps stuff because you know that <laughs> many companies claim that they are doing DevOps, but in reality, <laughs> they are not. <laughs> you know this better than me. Right, so. of course. But yeah, it's good. I, I'm happy for that. I mean, a few years ago, DevOps was one of those buzzwords, but right. now I don't think it's buzzword anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I think that serverless has actually opened up a lot of um, making it easier for teams to do automation and things like that. Like there's a lot that you can do because you have that little bit of compute power that you can do something with. So I think that's definitely promising. Um, so speaking of, um, you know, sort of compute power and other things you can do, uh, one of the things you mentioned was that you saw as a promising sort of signal was um, that serverless-based prototypes were on the rise, meaning, you know, different services. So whether it was, you know, uh, queues or whatever, you know, or uh, the, I guess, um, you know, uh, uh, Lex and things like that, all, all kinds of services that allow you to do different things that, that are specializing in different capabilities. Um, so where, where, how do you feel about that now? Because there are a lot of those APIs out there. Yeah, actually, I also find that even the, from this legacy corporation that I've been working with, I like the idea that now they defend whether they want to do migration, especially, or this kind of thing, or do anything cloud. Firstly, they do POC. So, right. yes, I find it good. Honestly, I, I'm, I was sometimes impressed that, oh, from some people that I would never expect them to use this. And first, <laughs> let's do POC, then see what's coming. I'm like, oh, really? Right. I mean, yeah. so yeah, it's good, in my opinion. It's finding yeah, its way. Yeah. No, I like I, I like that too. I think you're right about proof of concepts because it's just one of those things where um, even if you know even if it's expensive to use the Google Vision API or something like that, um, it's a really good way to prove out you know how that fits into whatever the the business use case you have for that. Um, and then, like you said, it, you know you can certainly take a step further and, and create more um, sophisticated or I wouldn't say sophisticated, but maybe more um, you know uh, more integrated tools or something like that that uh, that would work around that. So um, I think that's uh interesting allow people to you know fail fast learn quickly um and uh and just you know build out their applications yeah i, I would i would when, when we say purely i should say that i don't uh i wouldn't mm. exclude it only to this cool new uh serverless or what the ai stuff that aws and azure provides even right. for migration actually poc is highly recommended and again i was working for some period of time for I would say one of the most conservative banks in Finland, mm -hmm. uh, small and conservative uh, for consultancy. But even then, I were trying to push the cloud, and even then they said that yeah, first let's do a POC of migration and see what's gonna happen. Again, mm -hmm. they really I was surprised. I would never expect this from. But the idea of fail fast and learn fast, um, I think at least. Um, but it requires some level of maturity to reach that. Uh, that really needs True. more room for improvement. Fail fast, uh, learn fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just uh, something, uh, I don't know, uh, I would like to address about this uh, cloud stuff, if, if I can add. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Basically, uh, when customers, when companies or customers decide to go to the cloud, 
I recommend that uh, don't look at only the technical aspect of it because I see that there is at least there is a lot of debate. For example, at least it was like that. AWS, Azure, or this kind of thing. At the end, as I said, most of the thing, uh, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, mm -hmm. it depends on the sometimes company policy, how much discount you can get, how much funding you can get from the cloud provider. So it's not the really techie people who decide sometimes, it's the executive right. who decide. But even that, uh, when you go to the cloud, in my opinion, as much as the technology and maturity of the cloud provider matters, the, uh, the, the amount that your company is ready to change its operation is also important. I remember, I, this is my favorite example that I developed and I would say at that time, at least, a state-of-the-art serverless solution, DevOps-oriented, CICD stuff, for a major bank in Finland. Mm -hmm. And I was the first one who managed to do that among so many consultants that they have. It was really good. I I'm proud of what I did. And actually, I open-sourced that. But when, and it was ready, basically, we could deploy multiple times per day. And uh, we went to the release manager and said that, okay, it's like that. Everything is perfect, DevOps, CICD, we can release multiple times per day. And she said that, no, it doesn't work like We need to be released once per month. And we have okay, to go through right. a very painstaking process, fill out so many useless documents. It didn't matter how much I tried to convince her that, well, the idea is different. I mean, you need to do small deployments. This way, actually, you have less risk. You deploy once per month, still every time something goes wrong. But when you do a, a more frequent deployment as well, your risk is lower. She said, no, we are a bank. It is as it is. So right. the whole, most of that effort that I made, at least at the time, went to waste, basically, because the process was legacy. Even the technology was good. I'm mm -hmm. sure that by now they have changed because I was among those innovators, basically, or early adapters who made to do that. But in my opinion, as for, technology matters, but operation and processes and release stuff also matters, and everything needs to change. So basically, it needs to be a holistic approach of going to the cloud, not just right. implementing from technical viewpoint. Mari, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. This was uh, this was a lot of fun, and I I love I love people who have sort of experienced you know. From moving from one cloud to another, um, it's a huge shift. Um, but I think your advice here is great just to sort of know those basics on those other platforms and do that. Um, so if people want to uh, reach out to you or find out more about, um, you know, follow you on Twitter, things like that, how do they do that? Well, uh, I have a Twitter account, uh, but nowadays I mostly post uh, non-service stuff, but LinkedIn is a good option for me. Okay, great. And it's M underscore A-Z-A-R-B-O-O-N yes. on Twitter. Um, and then uh, I will put LinkedIn and Twitter and that in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Mari. Thank you very much for having me. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Madi Azaboon for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, CBT Nuggets and Lamigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 103. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore Daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.